So let's start with what's going to be the biggest topic on draft night, the San Francisco 49ers and that number three pick. So reports are coming out uh, today and yesterday that their Niners are between two guys, Trey Lance and Mac Jones. Now, when I hear that, my brain automatically says, okay, they're taking Justin Field because they don't really put stuff out there like that. The reports, where are these reports coming from? Now they're coming from reliable sources, sources that I can say that I trust when I hear things from them. But like I said last week, I'm not going to be shocked anymore if it's Mac Jones. I'm going to be surprised, but I'm not going to be overly shocked anymore if the pick is Mac Jones. And, I, and I'm starting to lean a little more Trey Lance on the Niners take over Justin Fields. So it kind of it kind of seems like that's about right that it'll come down to these two. Max, what Kyle likes in the past, that kind of style of quarterback. Trey Lance is this young, up-and-coming athlete, has a lot of Josh Allen to him, don't really know what's, what his real overall ceiling or floor could really be, but you know that it's there if you can find it, and he hits. But I think Kyle Shanahan, and more specifically Mike Shanahan, his father, knows that they can get Mac. And that they can be pretty good right off the bat. Now, I say Mike Shanahan because we know. Kyle has come out and said that, yeah, you know, every once in a while I, I have sent Mike some, some tape. I have asked my dad these questions. I have done this. Mike Shanahan is definitely involved in the San Francisco 49ers. He's, he's at home. Kyle, Kyle sends him tape. He watches the tape. He does his analysis. He talks to Kyle. He talks to John. 100% Mike Shanahan is involved in this situation. And I think Mike is really, really leaning to Mac Jones. Because if he looks at it, he looks at Kyle's, what he has, I think he says, look, if you draft Mac, you can plug and play. You can probably win 10 or 11 games this year. You can compete to win your division. And you, you might you, you have compete chance in the playoffs. You'll have a chance. You'll, you could take a run. Who knows what could happen then? And I think Kyle thinks that too. He, he sees that too. However, I think he's looking around the league. And he's looking at Trey. And he says, you know what? He's kind of have a little RG3 to him. And I did wonders with RG3. Made him rookie of the year. Washington won the division. They went to the playoffs that year. But he's a better, stronger, faster, has a more accurate, has a better arm than Robert Griffin III. Yeah, he might need a year or two to really progress. But right now, I think this is a conversation between father and son. Between Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan. And I think it has a little bit of John Lynch sprinkled in there about who they're going to take. What player they're going to take. What direction they want their franchise to go. It's really interesting. And it makes makes the number three pick even more interesting than it really was on who they're going to take. And now you have all this inside stuff. But it's like when the draft finally comes out and it finally happens... In three, four years, when we finally hear the story of what goes on, who knows, maybe Mike Shanahan really was tugging the cords for Mac Jones. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe Mike is telling Kyle, no, son, you need to take this guy. You got to take this guy. I know, dad, but I want him. I want him. Who knows? But these conversations are happening. And I, I'm very intrigued in three nights what's going to happen with the San Francisco 49ers because it's 100% the most interesting story of the draft. There's no doubt about it. Who the Niners take at three is the most interesting. It has the most impact right now around the league. It's the most. It's it's what most people are talking about. It's funny. I thought. I think. Uh, I think Kyle today. I think somebody asked him, um, "How certain are you that Jimmy Garoppolo will be on the team come Sunday?" And Kyle's response was, "I can't be certain that anybody on this planet will be alive on Sunday." I thought that was pretty funny and a very Shanahan-esque response. Because people are trying to see if Jimmy's still going to be on the team, then I think people are are leaning they're going to take Trey Lance. But if Jimmy's not on the team, then I think they're going to lean Mac Jones. Because if you draft if you draft Mac Jones or Justin Fields, you trade Jimmy Garoppolo. If you draft Trey Lance, there is an argument that you don't trade Jimmy. You let Trey sit for a year. The dude's only played 19, 17 games. Trey Lance, he's only played 17 games. He only played 17 in college. You don't have enough tape. There's not enough. Now, you have enough to go that this guy could have something special. But you don't have enough to go, ugh, can this guy really be good in the NFL? Now, you can make the same argument for Mac Jones. You make the same argument. Mac Jones played one season. He came in for two games for Tua last year. He played one full season. Now, he won a national championship. He threw for like 4,000 yards. Had like 37 touchdowns. Whatever it was. But him and Trey Lance have played the same number of games. But if you do draft Mac Jones, 
I don't think you can keep Jimmy Garoppolo in the room. And if you draft Justin Fields, the same. But Trey Lance, I think you can keep Jimmy in the room for one year. And then who knows, maybe Jimmy has a good year. I've, I've talked about this before on the pod. Maybe Jimmy has a good year. And he becomes a trade asset to a team that Washington football team that that that's, or uh, uh, Atlanta Falcons. Who, who knows? Whoever, a team that has an older quarterback, maybe they're, maybe they're not going to be in a mix this year or next year for a quarterback. So you, you trade Jimmy G for a second round over for second round pick. That would be that'd be great. That'd be ideal for the San Francisco 49ers if they trade Trey Lance and they decide to go that route. But I'm interested to see. Like I keep saying, it's the most it's the most interesting story. It's the one that pops out on the screen. It's going to be the one I'm really going to be the most intrigued with. The draft starts at three. We already know who's going number one. More than likely, we already know who's going number two. But number three is when the draft starts on Thursday night. Okay, staying with Thursday night, the first round of the NFL draft for the 2021-2022 NFL season. Let's talk about first round grades. While back, I did my values for first round. Where do you find a true value in a first round draft pick? Well, now I'm going to talk about first round grades that these teams have on all these players. It's going to, it's, it's probably going to surprise a lot of you out there, but most teams only have about 20, 22, maybe 25 guys at most, at most 25 guys graded in the first round. Now there's 32 players that go in the first round and any, and the average team has about 20, I'm going to say 22, 25 is the highest, 20 to 22. There's a team, I think Carolina came out and said, uh, they only have 17 they only have 17 guys rated in the first round. That's it. Nobody else is a first round grade for them. Here's what I know. And here's what I think that most people don't realize. 80% of the league are third round draft picks or later. 80%. 40% are players that were not even drafted. In, they weren't even drafted. These are undrafted free agents. 40% of the league. Only 50% of first-round draft picks actually make the NFL. Most of the NFL is full of third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh undrafted players. You sprinkle in some second-rounders, you sprinkle in some first-rounders. Majority of the NFL is late-round picks. Because I don't think people realize that majority of the NFL is not the 22 guys that you see on offense and defense for a team. What about all the special team guys? The 11 guys on on punt return, kick return, the gunners, the guys that have to go down and make tackles. That That's majority of the NFL. Majority of the NFL are those guys. Majority of the NFL isn't Julio Jones, Christian McCaffrey. Those, that's not the majority of the NFL. And majority of the first round players taken every year are not first round caliber players. They are second or third rounders. But due to needs... Or maybe like a certain position gets a run on it. Like if you get a run on running backs or a one on wide receivers or a run on tackles, teams jump up and they take these players in the first round. But the draft is 100% a crapshoot. So the league is all these numbers. 80% is not first rounders. 40% is undrafted. You know what 100% of the NFL draft is? A crapshoot. A shit show. There are no locks in the NFL draft. You keep hearing that. This guy's a lock. There are no locks. That's what makes the draft so interesting. That's what makes it so alluring to us as fans. But to say that every player that goes in the first round is a first round talent and should be able to play in the NFL, it's just not true. That's false. We see it every year. We, we, we see players that go number one, number two, number three, that just have very mediocre average careers. Jadeveon Clowney, $10 million for the Browns. Really? For an average career player that went number one overall? That's what the NFL is. The NFL is not full of all these great, talented players that go number one overall. The NFL is full with these great, talented players that get skipped over and passed on and go fourth, five, six, and seven, or don't get drafted at all. Let's take Mac Jones. Mac Jones is not a first-round draft pick. Mac Jones is a second- or third-round draft pick. And if I could get Mac Jones in the second or third round, I would love to have Mac Jones be on my team. But we have these expectations of the first round draft picks. And these expectations are right away. As soon as they step into camp, hey, you're the first rounder. You better show up and show out. All these reporters are here to see you. 
all these eyes are on you. You're the first rounder. You better make plays. And when you don't start making plays and maybe the pressure starts adding to you and you don't look as good as you should, then you start declining and declining and declining. It's harder sometimes for these first rounders that should have been second or third rounders to make it in the league. Because if they would have just been a second round draft pick or that mid third round draft pick, they maybe could have had a chance to succeed more than they could have as a first rounder. But the pressures of a first round draft pick, the expectations that the team, owner, the coach, the player, the fans, the media, people like myself that sit behind a mic on a podcast have on that player is exponential. And it's a little unfair, but life's unfair. And you got to get up and get over it. And if you truly are a baller, you got to show us that you're a baller. The NFL is not full of first rounders, people. And I don't, I just, that's, that's, I just don't think most people understand that. It's not. I talk to so many people every day about how this guy should go in the first or they should have taken that guy instead of this guy. Uh, It's fun to play those games and to have that, but it's all just bullshit and it's all just not true. Because what you're getting in the first round is a 50-50 chance that that guy is going to be awful. Or he's just not going to fit your team, your culture, your scheme. Maybe he really just doesn't like playing football. Maybe the pressures of being a first round pick get to him. Even if you're the last pick in the first round, number 32, you still have pressure. You're still a first round draft pick. You still have a fifth year option on your contract. That's huge. Huge. They when they started implementing the fifth year dra- uh, fifth year option was it like six years ago now seven six years ago right six years ago it's that that's a that's a huge that's a big deal I don't think people realize how much of a big deal that fifth year option is to be a first round draft pick to have that fifth year option to have that eighteen million dollars that you can have on that that fifth year that most people don't even sniff in the fourth or fifth round ever in their career is one huge for you and huge for the team so when you're watching the draft on Thursday. And you see these players go in the first round. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. I'm excited to see where they go. But just know that just because they went in the first round doesn't mean they're first round talent. Doesn't mean they can play in the league. Doesn't mean they'll be any good. Honestly, they could have went in the second or third round and they could have been better. That's just my personal opinion on how I view players and how I think things go. So when you watch the draft, have fun. But uh, if your team picks somebody that you think you really, really like, just know that they actually might not even had a first round grade on that guy. That they could have had a second round grade on him, but they needed that spot. They needed a position, and if they didn't take him now, they weren't going to get nobody. Probably happens sixty percent of the time for every team. That's when they come up to draft. They just got to take this guy now. He's not where we have him. We just got to take him. So just know that when you're watching the draft, it makes it a little more fun if you do know that. All right, let's get into the biggest thing that happened over the weekend, and that was the Baltimore Ravens trading away their all-pro tackle Orlando Brown to the defending AFC champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs gave up a first-rounder this year, third-rounder and fourth-rounder, both this year, and they give up a fifth-rounder for next year's draft, and the Chiefs get back Orlando Brown and the Ravens' second-round draft pick this year. I hope everybody understood that. So pretty much it's the Chiefs get a player and a pick, and the Ravens get back four picks a first rounder included in that. Now, everyone always likes to talk about who wins the trade. Who won the trade? Who won the trade? Did he win the trade? Who do you think won the trade? I think this guy won the trade. I hate that. I am not a big who won the trade guy. I I just, just not like, especially two days after the trade happens, who wins the trade? How can you tell? What if Orlando Brown never plays another snap in the league? What if they trade away that first round draft pick? It's hard to tell who wins the trade. But today I'm hearing a lot of the Ravens lost the trade. What are the Ravens doing? Giving up their all pro tackle and a second rounder for for just a handful of picks. Ravens lost this trade. Baltimore lost. They're terrible. What are they doing? For me, Baltimore did not lose this trade and neither did Kansas City. Both teams won this trade. Here's why. The Ravens gave up Orlando Brown. A 6'8", 360-pound left tackle, 24 years old. He's played in all 48 games since he was drafted in the third round of 2018. He's only given up three sacks in three years. A two-time pro bowler, one of the quickest and strongest tackles in the league. And he only makes $3 million this year. 
So, I mean, yeah, you look at it and you go, whoa, 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 Russ, hold on. You just said, why would they trade him away? You just said both teams won this trade, but then you just named a Hall of Fame-esque kind of player, which is true, I did. That That's what Orlando Brown could be if, if he keeps playing pretty well. But here's the thing. Orlando Brown has been adamant all last season and all this offseason that he wants to be a left tackle or at least wants to be paid like a left tackle. Here's the problem. The Ravens just paid Ronnie Stanley, which no disrespect to Orlando Brown, but Ronnie Stanley is better than you because he already looks like he should go into the Hall of Fame tomorrow. And they just paid him a lot of money. So the Ravens aren't going to pay Brown like a left tackle because they just paid Stanley all that money. This is the last year Brown's deal and trading him away for a first, a third, and a second in this year's draft and only giving up a second rounder to me is a win for the Ravens. This would be the Ravens' reality. They would be going through tough negotiations all season long, all offseason next year to try to sign Orlando Brown. So the Ravens did the smart thing. They looked around and they said, all right, yeah, let's trade him a year early. Let's get some assets back. Let's get some picks. And then we don't have to sit here for a whole year trying to scratch our heads and bang against walls on trying to come with a deal with a guy who's a right tackle who wants to get paid like a left tackle, but they already have a left tackle that's making more money than any other left tackle in the league other than one. Why would they pay him? Collect Collect your assets now. Instead of trying to go through a new contract with Ronnie Stanley, get the capital for him. Trade him away. You can find his replacement in this year or next year's draft. It's not like they took him in the first round in 2018 or the second round in 2018. He was a third round draft pick. The Ravens draft well. They're smart. They will find another lineman. In my opinion, this is a smart move for Baltimore. Now let's look at it for the Chiefs' perspective. They just got an all-pro player. I just told you everything about the guy. He's never missed a game. He's played all 48 games. He's only given up three sacks in three years. 6'8", 260. Sounds like a freaking mountain. It's what, he, it's what he looks like. It's what he is. And now Mahomes gets a left tackle for at least another five seasons. And they'll have to pay Brown. Yeah. At the end of the season, they're going to have to pay him. And they're going to get the, they're gonna have to give him a lot of money. The guy's going to want to get paid like a left tackle. He's going to play left tackle in Kansas City. So he's going to get paid as probably one of the best, and he might be the highest paid left tackle in the league, but it's going to be worth it. The Chiefs, the last three months, let's just think about the Chiefs the last three months. Let's just let's just go through this. Kansas City has gone from losing in the Super Bowl to cutting both of their all-pro tackles, letting their guard walk in free agency, and we all looked around and said, yikes. This does not look good for Kansas City. How are they going to be able to get all this back? Why didn't they just keep Fisher and Swartz until their contract ended? But let's fast forward to today. April 26th, three nights before the NFL draft. And they might have a top five offensive line in the league already. They signed Joe Thune and Kyle Long. And now they just traded for one of the best young tackles in the league in Orlando Brown. Andy Reid looked around in just absolute disgust after the Super Bowl because his star quarterback had to run for his life. His entire, the entire game was just running for his life. Andy is an offensive lineman. It's what he played in college. It's what he puts, what he played his whole career. It's why he's so smart because he knows you win in the trenches and offensive linemen are some of the smartest guys on the field when it comes to the X's and the O's. So he looked around and knew he had to upgrade. He had to get more athletic, and that's what he did. Mahomes can not only sit in a nice pocket with this O-line. Now Andy has the opportunity with such an athletic offensive lineman and Joe Thune, Kyle Long, and Orlando Brown that he can move the pocket wherever he wants. This 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 O-line, they, they can shift. They, they can literally snap a ball in one place and the entire offensive line can pretty much move another place. They're so athletic and quick and strong. The Chiefs are still on top of the AFC. And honestly, they have a chance to have the best offensive line in the league. This is a great move for both teams. Nobody lost this trade and nobody won this trade. This is exactly how much Orlando Brown is worth. Orlando Brown is worth 
a first rounder, a third rounder, a fourth rounder, and a fifth rounder in exchange for him in a second. I don't know if I have seen a more value trade for both teams, one that really hits equal value than this trade right here. It just makes so much sense. It just, it just makes so much sense when you look at it. And these people, the media on TV are just eating the Ravens and John Harbaugh alive because they gave away a young tackle. How can you do that? Because they didn't want to pay him $110 million fucking dollars next year. Because they already paid their left tackle. It just is like, I, I, sometimes I just don't think these people honestly even know what they're talking about. I even understand how this game is played. That we're in a salary cap league. That yes, offensive linemen are probably the most valuable position in the NFL, other than the quarterback. But you just can't pay everybody all that money. And a young player who's 24, who's already been adamant for a whole year about how he wants to get paid like a left tackle and not a right tackle, what do you think he's going to do? Is he just going to back down and say, yeah, it's okay. I'll take I'll take the right tackle money. When, let's be honest, the right tackle money is not that much different than the left tackle money these days. But it's still more money. And these young players look at it like that. When they see these running backs and these wide receivers and these quarterbacks and sometimes these safeties and defensive ends you know, getting more money year after year after year after year after year, more than this guy, more than that guy, more than... So Ronnie Stan, uh, Orlando Brown is looking at himself like, well, shit, I started 16 games for you guys my second year. I played in every game my rookie year when I was coming in and filling in at both right tackle, left tackle, and guard. And when Ronnie Stanley went out in week six this year, I stepped in and played all of left tackle. You're going to pay me as much as you pay Ronnie Stanley. John knows that's coming. DaCosta knows that that's coming. This is a smart move for both teams. John Harbaugh and DaCosta knew that they weren't going to be able to pay Brown. They, they knew that they were not going to be able to pay him. He was going to want too much money. And they, weren't, they, they didn't want to go through that headache all season of trying to settle a deal and come to terms. So what do they do? They called Andy Reid. I'm sure Andy probably called them because Andy's a smart guy and he probably knows the situation that was going on. And so they traded him for a handful of picks. And Andy and Veach needed a pro bowler guy on the offensive line that Mahomes can stay behind for five to ten years and they can really, really build something. Because now they had Fisher when Mahomes first got there and Fisher was their guy. And Swartz on the other side, solid, solid, both really solid tackles. I mean, some two of the best tackles in the league. But now you bring over a 24-year-old pro bowl, all pro, a massive human being at left tackle. A guy that's quicker and stronger than most of the edge rushers in the league. Unless your name's like Khalil Mack or Miles Garrett. This works. It works. It puts the Chiefs right there in contention every year still. Because they have an offensive line. As long as Mahomes and Andy Reid is there, the Chiefs are going to be there. But if you can get an offensive line in front of them, like Orlando Brown, Joe Thune, and Kyle Long. Yeah, the, the Super Bowls can start flowing in if they if they keep hitting on the right pieces. And for the Ravens? Just wait for my mock draft because they got rid of a tackle, but let's let's wait in about 20 minutes. About 20 minutes, maybe less. I'll uh we'll talk about who the Ravens take in this year's draft. Alright, so let's go through a little news around the league. Uh, I saw that Tampa Bay picked up Vita Vea's fifth year option. I mean, I, I I didn't see any other way. You could especially the postseason that that guy had. I mean, just a monster in the middle. They're going to have to pay him a decent amount of money if they want to keep him. They got him for two more years at that rate. If you want to pay him, you're probably going to pay him at the end of this year and just make it like an extension off of that fifth-year option. And really, that fifth year will be number one year of that new contract extension. It's usually the way that you do it, and it's how you get a cheaper value if you really want to pick up that player. Uh, I saw that the Falcons, uh, they are taking calls for a possible Julio Jones trade. Uh, I don't hate that move. I really don't. Uh, I guess the trade due to cap reasons can't be made until June 1st, but Atlanta is listening to calls. They're taking calls, and now the latest mock drafts for everybody is Atlanta's going Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. That's who they're going at number four. But to me, in my opinion, if you are doing that, why give up Julio Jones? I know that Atlanta is in such a terrible way with the cap. I mean, they have no cap space. Zero. They are in debt galore. But if you aren't going to take a quarterback, you're going to take Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase, I guess that's pretty much you going, all right, hey, look, we're going to get our new Julio Jones. We're going to let Matt Ryan kind of run it out. Maybe we can try to win something next two years or so. If not, then we'll go get our quarterback. 
We still got this young guy, what may it be Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts, that he could throw to. They still got um they still got a plenty. Atlanta's problem is not talent on the outside. Atlanta's problem is definitely not talent on the outside. They got plenty of talent on that offense. Their problem is their defense and keeping it together. And Matt Ryan turning the ball over a little bit too much now. But if he can hold that in, I mean I take calls for Julio. There are teams in 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 in, in contention right now. The Ravens, who I know that they just made that trade with Orlando Brown, but I mean the Ravens, why can't the Ravens come and get Julio? The Ravens need somebody. They could use a Julio Jones to make a Super Bowl push. There are plenty of teams that are on the cusp of trying to really win their conference that could use a Julio Jones. And Atlanta kind of looks like they need to start rebuilding in a way. But if they're not getting a quarterback, it's not really a rebuild if they're keeping Matt Ryan. It's more of a retool to try to rebuild in the future maybe. But I would take calls if I'm if I'm Atlanta. Julio Jones is at that age where, look, he's been great for us for so long, but he's kind of coming to the tail end of it. But he definitely still has some years left to give. So he's definitely worth some value. First, second, third, fourth, whatever he's worth, he's worth some value. In my opinion, Julio Jones could go to a first round for a first rounder to some team. Definitely a second rounder. And you could probably pair him up to get a first and a second, giving him up and maybe somebody else or pick swapping for a two. It's like pick swapping twos, taking the first, you give up Julio. But Atlanta needs to listen to these calls because Atlanta's got to turn around. They got to turn around fast. Arthur Smith is in there now. We'll see what happens. But I'm taking calls. I'm listening to all the calls because I'm sure there's some desperate teams, especially after the draft, that maybe a wide receiver doesn't fall to them and they think they really need a playmaker on the outside to make a push to beat Kansas City or Tampa Bay or whoever it is in whatever division you're in or conference. There's teams out there going to be desperate and they might give up uh, some good value for Julio Jones. So Atlanta, keep taking those calls. Keep listening. Ah, the Browns. The Cleveland Browns, where the draft actually is held um, on Thursday. Uh, the draft Thursday, I guess all three days are there. I didn't know that it was in Cleveland until like a week ago. Uh, they usually make more of a, a spectacle of where the draft is because it's it was in New York for so long. And then I think the first year they had it in New York, they had it in Chicago. And then they had it in Tennessee. <coughs> and now it's in Cleveland. Cleveland, Ohio, baby! Where absolutely nobody wants to be. Absolutely nobody wants to be in Cleveland, Ohio. Look, I get it. Like, you know, they, they like have like this big thing. It's like right next to the stadium. And Cleveland's like this up and coming. Like everybody wants the Browns to win because they're the underdogs. And they've sucked for so long. And Cleveland fans are so loyal. NFL, ha- ha- have, the, have the draft in a different spot. You're in Cleveland fucking Ohio. For the NFL draft in April, come on, what like at least in at least in Tennessee, I mean you got you were in Nashville, you had all you had all that shit in Nashville. What's in Cleveland, Ohio? Nothing. Can we have the draft somewhere else, please? Look, it doesn't really matter to me because I just watched it on TV, I guess. But I mean, come on. I mean, I'm not trying to really rip Cleveland right now, but fuck, who wants to go to Cleveland, Ohio for the NFL draft? I don't know how I got off a tangent. It's supposed to be about Baker Mayfield, but I, I don't think that's going to you know make what I'm about to say <laughs> any better. So Baker, he got his fifth-year option picked up by the Browns. Congratulations. I'm going to give you a little golf clap. A little golf clap there for the Cleveland Browns on not signing Baker Mayfield and just picking up his fifth-year option. There was a second there where I thought the Browns were going to sign and extend Baker Mayfield's contract. And that would have been the most outrageous and ridiculous thing I think that has happened in a long time. Because it's not like I think Baker Mayfield sucks, although I'm called a Baker Mayfield hater by pretty much everybody on this planet that knows me. I don't think he sucks. I think he's a good quarterback and he's viable. But Cleveland is celebrating like it's motherfucking New Year's or Mardi Gras because they picked up his fifth year option. We got our guy! The draft is here and we got our guy! This is Cleveland's year. The Browns are going to the Super Bowl. God. No. You did the right thing and you picked up his fifth-year option. And I thought, like I said, I thought they were going to sign him, but they did the right thing. So now the Browns have Baker for two more years. They're not going to pay Baker until his contract is done. There is no way on God's green earth that they pay Baker Mayfield after this year. The only way they pay him and extend that contract is if they make a deep run in the playoffs. And that has to be 
AFC Championship game. And you would have to lose to either the Bills or the Chiefs by a score. Because if you get your ass pummeled, I'm not paying you. Because you haven't proven you can do anything. Let's say, because I, I mean, I'll throw this out here. It's a little too early, maybe. But I will have my division uh, predictions before the season starts. And who I think is going to win the division. But right now, Cleveland would be number one for me in the NFC, in the AFC North. Number one. So if they do win their division, that means they that means they're probably not gonna get a bye because remember only one seed two number one seed gets a bye. But they'll have a home play a play a playoff game. They'll have a home playoff game. They should win that game because if they're good enough to win the division, have a home playoff game, they're good enough to win that game. So they need to go to the AFC Championship game. For for me, if I'm the general manager for Baker Mayfield to get extended, I need I need I need to see something more. I understand he had a good eight weeks last year. But let's take away the the last eight weeks and just look at the first eight weeks. It was dog shit. It was dog pound shit. That's what they call the fans up there. They're called dog pound. Baker Mayfield was taking a shit on all of your heads. Did you not see him the first eight weeks? And now everybody wants to come out because he had an amazing last week of the season, the last eight weeks of the season. And he did. He played really well. And I gave him his credit. I will give you credit where credit is due. Baker Mayfield had a terrific second half of the season last year. And he came in. They went in and they beat the shit out of Pittsburgh, a team that did not deserve to be in the playoffs, clearly beat the shit out of them in the playoffs. You're not going to get a win like that again in the playoffs. You beat a team that was just beaten up. Ben couldn't do anything anymore. Their offensive line looked terrible. They, 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 they lost most of their good, best defensive players. I don't want to hear it. The Browns, I think they're going to be good this year, but for them to pay Baker Mayfield, like all these Brown fans are telling, just pay, he's our guy! They're banging the table. He's our guy. All right. Well, we'll see. Let's just let's just hold off two years. You have this season, and you have next season. After that, you could pay Baker if he's good. If he's good enough to keep getting you to the playoffs, winning you to the divisions, or getting close to win the division, you go. You know what? We can get over the hill with this guy. We're gonna pay him. That's when you pay Baker Mayfield. Not this year. Not next year. Two years. The Browns should pay Baker Mayfield what he's worth. They're going to overpay him because they just gave Jadeveon Clowning $10 million. So they're going to give Baker probably some stupid number that he doesn't deserve. But that's ne- neither here nor there. And that's a that's a conversation I'll have with you guys in two years. But right now, they picked up his fifth-year option. I'm giving him a golf clap. Good job. That's what you need to do. Keep him on his rookie deal. Try to win your division. Try to get to the AFC Championship game. Try to not be the Browns. It is mock draft time. And uh, seeing as that I'd already done this on Thursday and then it all got deleted when I was in Vegas. I probably had too many drinks and was gambling too much. I didn't lost all my money, by the way. Don't go to Vegas, kids. Uh, I left off at 20 with Chicago, and today I was supposed to finish and go through 26 to 32. So it looks like I'm going 21 to 32 today. You get a nice meaty mock draft today. Uh, A lot of good picks, a lot of good players. I even implemented um, the Ravens and Chiefs trade, so everything's up to date on what's going on. I'm excited to finish out this mock draft. It took me a while to really sit and think about you know, who I would take, when and where on all these ones. A lot of na- late nights just working at this. Uh, but I'm really happy with what I've done, 1 through 32. I think I would probably take every single one of these players if I was in that GM or coach's shoes, if they're on the board and how it falls. So let's get into 21 through 32, the Indianapolis Colts. You are on the clock. Okay, 21, the Indianapolis Colts. They got a big hole to fill because their tackle, long-time left tackle, uh, Anthony Costanzo, he retired. So with the loss of Costanzo, I mean, they, they got to get a lineman. They, they just need somebody to protect Carson Wentz. You cannot have an issue with Andrew Luck and have some guy that you, you're trying to have a quarterback, a young guy you're going to pay money to, just get injured because you're not protecting him. So the Colts are going to go left tackle Christian Darisol out of Virginia Tech. He's going to be able to slide right in and protect Carson Wentz. Uh, he, he's a plug-and-play guy. I mean, he's he's going to be just fine in this offensive line. 
on what his skill set and capability is to be a left tackle, to be able to do to run block and pass block. Now, first couple of seasons maybe until he really gets you know into the game. Unless he's, I think he's a great tackle. But the speed rushes are what's going to kind of kill him here. So a lot of times when they're facing a speed rush guy, I expect Frank Wright to have a uh, to to have a shift and maybe double team with a guard or have a linebacker, uh, a running back back there to be able to bump and go run a route or maybe step in and fill a block. But Christian Derrishaw is going to be a solid left tackle in this league. He's everything you need in a left tackle. He's big. He's fast. He's strong. He's a good kid. He doesn't have the upside as the other three tackles that have already gone off the board do. But I think the kid is really good, and if the Colts here, a really good need and fit. Number 22, the Tennessee Titans. You are on the clock. There is only one pick here for Tennessee, whose pass rush was absolutely horrendous. Depleted, desperate for any type of attention last year. It's, it's an easy pick. With Aziz Ojolare, edge rusher out of Georgia on the board, he fills that hole. This guy is a motor, and he has every pass rush move in his tool belt. The guy, I mean, he can, he uses his hands, he's fast, he's strong, he swims, he, he, he does everything. The guy is a under, little undersized, a little bit, but his high motor, his ability to fill the gaps, make a play, he can, he can fill in the run game, he, he's smart with his rushes, you don't see him overextend a rush a lot of the time a lot of time we watch him at georgia especially playing in the sec he squeezes that tackle back in so the quarterback has to maybe step up he can't run around him and he he gets a, he causes a lot of fumbles a lot of big plays when he's when he does that outside rush move he doesn't overextend his rush and give the quarterback a lane to run aziz ojalare out of georgia there number 22 for the tennessee titans pick number 23 the new york Jets, you are on the clock. So this is the Jets' second pick in the first round. This is the the pick that they got from Seattle for the Jamal Adams for Jamal Adams trade. We already know who they took with the with their first pick in the first round. Zach Wilson, quarterback out of BYU. So now you come back at twenty three. You got to think defensive help here with Robert Sala coming over. He needs two things. Robert Sala needs two things for his defensive scheme to really work. He needs a pass rush, and he needs a big, tall, lockdown corner. And right here, perfect pick. You go George Newhouse the second out of Northwestern, a tall, long corner who's played a bunch of different coverages in that scheme at Northwestern. It's a very complex scheme. Robert Sala likes guys like Richard Sherman who can come in and knows a bunch of different coverages, knows how to play man, cover two, cover three, dime, cover three under, over cover four, all these type of things is all what Newhouse played in Northwestern. He's not a super explosive finisher and runners tend to kind of bounce off of him at times, but he does remind me of a Richard Sherman type that can really focus in on those instincts, those strong instincts that he has, the mind for his game, his his IQ is crazy. So he, he reminds me of a Richard Sherman type kind of guy that can that Robert Sala can really, really turn into a number one lockdown corner. And in that division now, you have Stephon Diggs to go against and Josh Allen, who's a good quarterback. Who knows what's going to happen with the Patriots? You know, you're still, still up in the air here with the Dolphins. I mean, they do have Devontae Parker. Could the Dolphins get Jamar Chase or a big-time playmaker? The Jets need a corner like that. The Jets need a true number one. And I think right here, Newhouse brings in a really, really good system from Northwestern that Robert Sala can tool this kid to just be really, really good. Pick 24, the Pittsburgh Steelers. You are on the clock. I'm not going to lie. This is a tricky one here at 24 for Pittsburgh. It's I went back and forth on this because there is such a solid left tackle on the board who can really, really come in and help an offensive line that is aging, an offensive line that does need some athleticism and needs some youth. But after staying up endless nights, you know, tossing and turning over the Pittsburgh Steelers draft pick, I've come up to one conclusion. They have to win now. Ben Roethlisberger, this is it. Most of their defensive players, you're not going to be able to re-sign. Eventually, you're going to have to pay um, TJ a lot of money. This is their window. This is the last season for the Pittsburgh Steelers for the next couple of years. 
So with that being said, you got to go out. You got to get someone that can score points. Travis Etienne running back out of Clemson. I'm not into taking running backs in the first round. I'm really not. But here it fits what the Steelers need. Travis is a strong runner through the lanes. And historically, the Steelers have won with those kind of running backs. He's got really good hands outside of the backfield. Better hands than Franco Harris. You'll, you'll see him making better catches than Franco did. And he's a good scapegoat for Ben when Ben's in trouble. Because sometimes those wide receivers just seem like they can't get open. Either that or Ben just can't deliver the ball. But Travis is a great scapegoat for him to just toss the ball to and make a play. But like I said, this is it. This is it for the Steelers this year. They need someone to put up some points to make a splash. They need a run game. I still think they need to take a tackle or a guard in the next two rounds. But Travis Etienne here gives the Steelers an explosive player who can come in, put some points up on the board, and get the Steelers back to Steeler football. And Steeler football is running the ball. Pick 25, the Jacksonville Jaguars. You are on the clock. So Jacksonville here, a lot like the Jets. This is their second pick of the first round coming off of a trade they made uh, last year. Another easy one because it's another defensive need, just like the Jets. And just like the Jets, they're going to go secondary. They're going to go safety Trayvon Mulgan out of TCU. He's a great addition to a young core that they already have there. The Urban can build around. This kid has got versatility and instincts that make him an instant impact in the league he's smooth he's able to hand man coverage better than most safeties are coming out in, uh, in this draft he should bring some power to the Jags defense this kid is a talker I've watched numerous TCU games and his highlights the past couple of uh last year I watched the games and his highlights and his in his tape the past couple of weeks this kid is a dog he's a war daddy he talks shit and I love it. I love when my... There's few positions that I want players to talk shit at. And safety is 100% one of them. It might be number one on that list. But this guy talks shit. And he's versatile. He's fast. And he can back it up. The Jaguars here, to me, it's a steal. It's a steal for them in the secondary to come back at 25 and be able to get a safety that can really, really take that defense to the next level after they get a couple more key pieces the next year. The Jaguars, if Urban can hit on these pieces here with Trayvon, whew, that defense and that offense, if 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 Lawrence can play, Jags can be something to, to compete with here in the next couple years. Pick number 26, the Cleveland Browns. You are on the clock. Now, we just talked about the Browns, right? We just talked about it. They picked up Baker's fifth-year option. And the Browns have weapons galore. Oh, oh, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry. They got tight ends. They just got they got, they got got a good offensive line. They got two running backs. You know what the Browns don't have? Defensive help. It's a major key for Cleveland. I mean, they signed two good secondary players, which I think will have a good impact on that defense. But, but the middle is just lacking. Their middle of the defense... From their defensive linemen all the way back is just lacking right there in the middle. So I'm going to go linebacker Jamin Davis out of Kentucky. Who myself, I am very, very, very high on this player. I think he is one of three players that get drafted in the first round that could have a Hall of Fame-like career. I know that's a lot to say. It's, it's just something to put out there. I just love this guy's tape. I just love everything that this guy does in the field he flies around he fills gaps he has such a high iq he reminded me of luke keekley at boston college because you go oh yeah but russ he plays in kentucky yeah but let's remember kentucky's in the sec at least he plays sec teams luke keekley was at boston college luke keekley was playing clemson before clemson was any was it wasn't even any good he was playing the florida states when florida back when florida state was shit you know in the acc so I, I don't want to hear that, oh, he's playing, he's playing Kentucky, he can't tackle anybody. No, this kid, when I watch his tape, reminds me of Luke Keekley. And that's a lot to say because Luke Keekley, other than Ray Lewis, is the best middle linebacker I've ever seen in my entire life. But this guy's IQ from when the ball is snapped, be pregame, before the ball is snapped till after the ball is snapped, is very Luke Keekley esque 
go watch his tape. Please, go watch his tape. Because I promise you, if you like football, you're going to love every second of watching this guy play. He's fast. He moves vertically very, very well. I don't think I've seen him miss a tackle. The guy just know he he has he's got hands. He can play. He can cover tight ends. This guy's gonna be good. And if he's there at twenty six, I think Cleveland would. I think it'd be ridiculous for them to pass him up because they need a defensive help. And this guy can come in and be immediately impactful, have immediate value to a team that needs its defense to be good if they want to win their division. You already got the two secondary players. Let's go out and get a middle linebacker. And not just only a middle linebacker, a middle linebacker that has a chance of being a fucking stud. Somebody that is just going to be a killer. In that division, you need one. Because the NFC North doesn't stay quiet long. Doesn't stay... Eventually, Cincinnati, they're going to get some slobber knockers on the defensive ball. Cleveland's going to. Baltimore has them. The Steelers have them. That, that division just does. Eventually, you, you need dogs on that defensive side of the ball for you to win in this division. Cleveland... Go out, get Jamin Davis. I promise you, you will not regret it. And if you do, I'll wear a Baker Mayfield jersey or some shit. I don't know. 26, Cleveland Browns, middle linebacker, Jamin Davis. Pick number 27, the Baltimore Ravens. You are on the clock. So Baltimore just made a huge trade. Baltimore, who picks... 27 in this year's draft just made a huge trade and traded away their all-pro right tackle, Orlando Brown. But hey, good thing that there is still a tremendous tackle on the board. Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State would just fit nicely here. Big, strong. He's not as athletic as Brown, but he's a great run blocker. This dude just mulls people over. I mean, he he can sit back there and he can pass block, but this guy is going to create lanes for Lamar in that running game to me it's a perfect fit now that they got rid of Orlando Brown if Jenkins is here at 27 it's a no-brainer for the Ravens to go ahead and pull the trigger an absolute no-brainer pick number 28 the New Orleans Saints you are on the clock well the Saints on the clock here with Drew gone and honestly Pretty uncertainty at the quarterback spot. Sean could use a playmaker. He really could. He could use a playmaker like, uh, I don't know, wide receiver Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss, who just happens to be there at 28, who honestly I think could go higher than this. I think he's jumping up the draft boards like crazy and has a chance to go in the top 20. But right here, 28, they're going to take wide receiver Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss And look, it's going to help either Winston or Hill just put up some points on the board. Elijah Moore's a lot. He reminds me of uh, Debo Samuels in San Francisco. He's just a weapon. It gives Sean a weapon to use inside, outside, in the backfield. The dude's just a playmaker. Just get the guy the ball and let him go. He's not afraid to go over the middle either for a little bit of a smaller guy. So now you got your big Michael Thomas, and now you have just your, your speed playmaking guy. Michael Thomas is your slants, your out routes, your red zone. You need a first down, you go to Michael Thomas. Elijah Moore is the guy where you go, we need a big play, put it in his hands. Let the guy make a play. So now you have Alvin Kamara and Elijah Moore, two of who I think in the league would be the best playmakers in the league. I think Elijah Moore reminds me a lot of a Tyreek Hill. He's not as thick as Tyreek Hill. I don't think people realize how thick that motherfucker's legs are. It's unbelievable. Elijah Moore is not that thick, and he's not as fast as Tyreek, but he is playmaking ability, speed, strength, all that. I would say he's just a, a poor man's Tyreek Hill. And I wouldn't even say a poor man's. I would say, you know, a middle-class man's Tyreek Hill. Because if Tyreek Hill is the richest man's guy, then I would take Elijah Moore to be my upper-middle-class up, Elijah Moore, my open middle class wide receiver. He's not even a poor man's Tyreek Hill. That would be disrespectful to the guy. I think the guy's going to be good. I also think he has a chance to be the fourth and maybe even the third wide receiver off the board. I know it sounds crazy. I know it does. Because you think about it, you go, well, Jamar Chase is definitely going top eight for sure. And then you have Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. Oh, Russ, what are you talking about? Elijah Moore's not going over Jalen Waddle. No, he's not going over Jalen Waddle. Elijah Smith's not going over Devontae Smith. Are we sure? Look, Devontae Smith's a stud. He's a baller. 
He, he The dude runs the best routes out of any wide receiver in the league coming out. But is he a playmaker? Yes. But in the, in the NFL level, it's going to be a little harder to tell. I'm just a little more skeptical on Devontae Smith than other people. And I think Elijah Smith, Elijah Moore has a chance to be better than him, better than Waddle. I don't think he's going to be better than Jamar Chase. But Elijah Moore right there with that pick for the Saints gives Sean Payton an extra weapon to work with. It just gives the Saints room for mistakes when you have another playmaker like an Elijah Moore. It, 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 you have Michael Thomas, Elijah Moore, Alvin Kamara. You still have a really good offensive line. Let's see who your quarterback is. Let's go win games if you're in New Orleans. Let's get a playmaker. Let's get Elijah Moore at this spot. Pick number 29, the Green Bay Packers. You are on the clock. So after taking Jordan Love in last year's first round at about this spot, weren't they 29? I'm almost positive they were 29. So after taking Jordan Love in this spot this year, they realized he didn't work. So they're going to take another quarterback, Kyle Trask, because that's just what seems the Packers just do. They don't know what they're doing. They have Aaron Rodgers, but they're just going to keep taking quarterback after quarterback after quarterback because, you know, it's, yes, it's just a shit show there. No, so real pick right here. Um, they're going to take Terrence Marshall out of LSU. I, a wide receiver. This guy's just a big body red zone target. He's got speed to go vertical whenever he wants to. He's going to be able to beat most DP, most DBs with his speed. Marshall, I mean, he, to go along with Adams, Jones, and Lazard should really give Rodgers just he, the weapons and the tools needed to get over the hump and try to get back to a Super Bowl. Terrence Marshall is no slouch. Just because he played opposite of Jamar Chase, you know, people are like, well, I don't know how good he is. Go watch the dude. Just go watch the dude. He flies. Big body. Big, big body. Aaron, Aaron likes to throw to big bodies. But Devontae Adams isn't as much of a burner as Marshall is. So now you have your red zone guy, the do-everything kind of guy in Adams. You have your you have your scat kind of wide receiver, kind of can do it all over the middle, a slot guy in Alan Lazard. And now you're bringing Terrence Marshall, who can go deep at any moment, who's a big-ass body, can run fades in the goal line. Yeah, I like that pick there for the Packers. The Packers got to go. They got to go playmaker here. They got to go playmaker. They just re-signed Aaron Jones. You got to go wide receiver here. It's the only way to try to get that offense over the hump. Now, you know, I know what you're saying. Oh, you need to go defense. Yeah, their defense does need some work. But right here, right now, with the defense that they have and those pass rushers and their offense that they have, if you can give Aaron somebody like a Terrence Marshall, I, I think I think they can beat almost everybody, anybody in this league with the team that they have right now. Number 30, the Buffalo Bills. You are on the clock. The Bills, the Bills, the Bills. One of my AFC contenders for next year's Super Bowl. I definitely think the Bills will go far. I think they have a chance to get to the AFC Championship game again. Let's see if they can get over the hump. One way of doing that, you make an easy pick here. You take the best pass rusher on the board that fits your culture. And to me, that pick is Joe Tryon out of Washington. Has a very high upside. He might be the strongest edge rusher of the group. He just moved tackles. Just moved them out of their way in the Pac-12. He also played the run really, really well. You know, with the lack of Ed Oliver's performance last year and kind of the last two years, the Bills really need to attend that D-line. You know, I could see them taking a linebacker here. You know, you maybe need some linebacker help. But look, a guy like a Matt Milano can really do a lot if your defensive line is solid in front of him. I think an edge rusher here to go alongside of Jerry Hughes, and hopefully Ed Oliver can kind of come back to his own in the middle. But if he can't, you know what the good thing about Joe Tryon is? The dude can play the middle. And a bunch of different defensive schemes that the Bills play, he'll be very productive on the weak side because the Bills like to have all of the stronger guys on the weak side. Or we can just slide in. Slide in in the interior and help out with the run. Get an interior edge rush, an interior rush. Joe Tryon is a monster. Yeah, you know, he lacks a little bit of athleticism. He lacks a little bit of speed on a get-off. But the dude is just pure strength, power, and the he fits the Bills' culture. He's going to come in there and he's going to work his ass off. He's going to be an immediate immediate favorite for the fans. I promise you, you guys will love this guy off the get-go. He's kind of going to be like your Kyle Williams, just an edge rusher. And like I said, he could slide in the inside. 
But the Bills need that defensive line. If they want to get past Kansas City, they need that defensive line to put some pressure on Mahomes. And getting Joe Tryon right here at number 30, I think that's an that's an easy pick to, to just add some pressure on Mahomes and anybody else that you'll face in the NFC in the playoffs. The Bills right there get a good edge rusher for their culture and as a player. Okay, pick number 31, the Kansas City Chiefs. You are on the... Wait, what's that, Bill? Oh, wait a minute. I think we got a trade. Yep, I think... Yep, he's coming to the podium. We have a trade. The Kansas City Chiefs have traded away their 31st pick in this draft to the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore, you are on the clock. So the Ravens trade back up into the first round. They're going to make that trade. They get the 31st pick because of that Orlando Brown trade with Kansas City. So the Ravens now have two out of the last five draft picks. So they have number 31 because of Kansas City, and they had 27. So the Ravens now are in great position to just get two outstanding players that they have really high on their board. So right here, we already addressed the tackle issue. You know that because they gave up they gave up Brown. So we addressed that issue. Now the other issue the Ravens need, and I know some people are like, no, they don't need that. No, they need playmaker, wide receiver. So they're going to go wide receiver, Kadarius Tony out of Florida to go opposite of Hollywood Brown. Look, Tooney, he's a great mixture of strength and speed. The abil- And his ability to wiggle away from defenders is top-notch. It's it's some of the best quality breakaway speed and the ability to just get away from tacklers that any wide receiver has in this draft other than, I think, Jalen Waddle. He's not afraid to go over the middle either. And with Hollywood Brown on the outside, who's also who's a big play guy, I mean, Hollywood Brown's a big play guy. Kadavius Tony is a guy that Lamar can throw slants, unders, posts, fade, any, any, route, any route in the route tree. He really can to uh, a a Tony 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 sorry Tony not Tony Tony is just a great here fit here for the Ravens because Lamar he needs to be able to throw the ball more he needs to be able to throw it better and with the addition of another wide receiver to go opposite of Hollywood Brown you already have a stud on your uh, as a tight end your offensive line is still good you know you just you you missed you, you got rid of a tackle but hey look you just drafted another tackle and now you'll take a wide receiver their defense, there are some issues that they could that they can address. I think they're secondary, maybe, but right here at 31, you're not gonna get that spot. It's just not value to take a corner. I can see maybe like a Kelvin Joseph here, why uh corner out of Kentucky. Also really good player. Kentucky's got a lot of good pl- defensive players coming out. Kentucky's an underrated program for football. I'm just gonna be honest. It just really is. It's an underrated program. Off topic here. But uh yeah, Kadarius Tony right here, I think is a great fit, and it's gonna help the 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 Ravens as much as they score points. They need to score more, and they need to score more through the passing game because we've seen it in the playoffs. They get stuffed from the run, stuffed. No, they can't run in the playoffs, so they're gonna need to throw the ball. They need to throw the ball. You're gonna need a couple more wide receivers. So Kadarius Tony out of Florida. Number 31 to the Ravens. It's a good pick. It makes an explosive offense even that more explosive. And finally, the defending champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, pick 32. You are on the clock. So what does Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need here? I'll be honest. They don't need much. Like, as true needs they brought back all 22 starters from last year and they brought back almost every player that got playing time so a specific need isn't really there you know however their center did retire halfway through the season last year he had a medical condition and they pretty much told him you know what you got to retire because if you keep playing you could die so he had to go so with that being said i think right here is a good time for the interior lineman Landon Dickerson out of Alabama to go number 32, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He can bring impact at some point of the season. I don't think he's going to come in and be the immediate starter, but this is a guy who's got... Now, he, now here's a guy who's got quick footwork. He's massive. He's strong. His finishing ability is insane. I mean, pancake after pancake. 
you know what else? He's a three-year SEC starter. The dude can play center. The dude can play guard. He was beloved in Alabama. Beloved by Nick Saban. They loved this guy. The only concern with him here is durability. Can he stay healthy? Because he has had two injuries now in his college career. Two pretty major injuries. The first one was not so much, but the second one last year was pretty pretty damaging. He missed almost the whole season. I think he played the first four games and missed the rest of the season and came back in the national championship game when they were just, you know, beating the shit at Ohio State. He came in for a snap because they needed to get they wanted to get him something, but they he didn't want to take the risk of playing in the game, although he was fully suited for the last three games, but he wasn't going to take a risk. Knew he was going. Saban didn't want him to take that risk to get re-injured, re-hurt. But right here, Landon Dickerson, he's just my kind of he's my kind of interior lineman. He's my kind of center, my kind of guard. Just a slobber knocker, a fucking war daddy, a guy that's just going to come in and beat the shit out of you. He's going to be able to handle a lot, a lot of the interior rushers, your Vita Veyas. He was going to have his handful at first with the Aaron Donalds of the world. But look, this guy can play both guard and center. He's very versatile. He's mobile. I think he's someone that can come in and honestly have an immediate impact on that offense. I don't think he's going to start right away, like I said, but I do think I see him being sprinkled around in the season. I think he's going to be have the ability to keep Tom Brady upright. You know, I was also thinking about, you know, other than a lineman, who could Tampa Bay take? Because, you know, Landon Dickerson, I think, is the best take there. But it's not a complete need. It's not a complete need or want. And it's probably not even BPA. Because if it is BPA, best player available, I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take Najee Harris. If he's still on the board. And it would make that backfield un stoppable at least they make it seem like it's unstoppable because look Leonard Fournette was good in all last year you know and they had a nice one-two punch but if you add uh, Najee Harris with Ronald Jones I just don't see how that backfield gets stopped too many weeks because Najee Harris is going to be a beast he's going to be a stud if he's in the right offense the guy's going to make plays and Tom Brady that's the kind of running back Tom Brady loves to have. A guy that's amazing out of the backfield, can catch the ball at any angle you throw it to him, and can make a play after you catch the ball. Why did Tom Brady like James White so much? Not because James White had hands out of the backfield, because James White almost never got tackled by the first tackler. He made the guy miss. What does Najee Harris do? Hurdles defenders that are 6'8". Najee Harris will make people miss. I don't think I I don't think I would go that pick. Now, if I'm sitting in the war room and I'm Tampa Bay and I have Landon Dickerson and I have Najee Harris, you know, I might have to pull the trigger on Najee Harris. But a lineman is always more valuable than a running back. And an interior lineman late in this draft that you can get that's coming from Alabama, who's a three-year starter, who played in the SCC, just makes him a very, very valuable asset. So there we go. That's 1 through 32. What was that over a span of two weeks? We did 1 through 32. I know I had to I had to fit a lot in today. But there we go. 1 through 32. Like I said, I'm pretty proud of this. Now, this is how I would draft for each team for who's on the board. This is not how I think is going to fall. Because there are plenty of players. Let's just pick some out here that I think are going to go way before I did easy one Elijah Moore I have Elijah Moore going 28 he's not getting past 20 um you know I had uh, Devontae Smith going 18 I I I don't think Devontae Smith falls that far I I think there's a chance he goes a lot sooner you know I think there's a chance that um Christian Dershaw the tackle that I gave to the Colts he can go before 21 you know there's some there's some that I even got here like like Quiddy Pay Quiddy Pay is at four I think I had Quiddy Pay going to the Vikings at 14 there's no there's no reason that if somebody really likes that young guy that thinks he could be the next Khalil Mack or Vaughn Miller or something like that, someone can take him. And he could easily go 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 to any one of those teams. So I think I think I do think I have a lot of players that are gonna go around that time that they're gonna go. But like I said, this is just who I would take in those situations. And and I I, I like it. I like it a lot. But I'm very excited to see what actually happens on Thursday. I want to see where all the dominoes fall, 
Who are the Niners taking? What are the Patriots going to do? Who's going to fall? Is there going to be a quarterback that falls really far? Is one of these wide receivers going to slip down? Uh, Do we maybe not have any corners go in the top 15? Does something crazy happen? I'm just, I'm super excited. And I think it all starts at number three. Because I think whoever the Niners take at number three will have a big impact on the rest of this draft. Because the Niners take Mac Jones, if somebody's really, really high on Justin Fields or Trey Lance, I can see that team giving up a lot to move to four or five to try to get one of those quarterbacks that they really like, or Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. I I just think this draft, first of all, I think it's going to be the most watched draft in decades. Secondly, I think it's going to be wildly entertaining, and there's going to be moves left and right. I, I, I am predicting at least, at least two draft day trades in the first round. Two. Two of them. You heard it here first on Breaking the Goal Line Podcast. There'll be two live draft day trades in the first round. And there'll be many, 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 many more more to go in the second or third. So I think it's going to wrap it up uh, here for today. I told you it was a meaty pod. I think it's about, it's an over an hour long. So I'm glad I got a nice long one in. I know the one I had was a little short and I I, I missed out on last week. I'm sorry. I'll try to put out content. Um, As for the end of the week though, the draft is on Thursday. And it's not going to end until about 8, 8.30 my time. And then the second and third round, second round starts on Saturday, on Friday at four o'clock my time. So what I think I'm going to do is I think I'm going to record the pod Friday after the second round while the third round is going on. That way I can really soak in the first round and all the second round. I could be watching the third round live as I record the pod. We can really talk about the first and the second rounders, uh, my, my takes from it, and, and what have you. So, but I think it's going to do it for me today. You guys, please have a good rest of your week. It's going to be a great one. It's draft week, baby. You just you just can't be mad during draft. So get excited. Whoever you want your team to take, you know, whoever it is, wide receiver, corner, lineman, defense, doesn't matter. Get excited. Watch the draft. I will talk to you all on Saturday. Have a great rest of your week. Godspeed. See ya.